Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Oriole Park at Camden Yards. It's the Cleveland Guardians 12, the Baltimore Orioles 8. I'm David Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, that thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And oh my God, the Guardians have arguably their best offensive day, I, I think numerically too, their best offensive day of the entire 2023 season. Wow. I mean, 12 runs. They just, in the Orioles, they keep going back and forth against each other in the middle innings, swapping the lead back and forth. This definitely wasn't a day for pitching, even with our ace on the mound. This was not a day for pitching. This was a day for offense. I don't know if it was just the the, the uh, you know the midday afternoon air in Baltimore or what, but uh, man, this team came out swinging. So uh, let's get into it. I mean, the story, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to talk about a 12 to eight game because there's so much, there's so much offense. There's so many moments. So we're going to try to go through it all. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts on some things. We're going to look at a lot of pitch locations and uh, see how our guys were getting pitched and where they were attacking. Um, we're definitely not going to spend a lot of time talking about pitching. One of our emailers though, uh, it's funny, both uh, Rick and Marlon have emailed back in today, and uh, <laughs> they went opposite directions. Uh, Marlon wrote a pretty lengthy email, which we're going to get to, and I really appreciate it because he did some good, uh, he did a good deep dive on Shane Bieber, which we're going to talk about uh, at the end of the episode. Rick uh, just went the simple route. He titled his email, Holy Moly! And just said, how fun is this from Rick in Austin? So uh, <laughs> I agree, Rick. I, I caught your email in the middle of the game. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a real good way to end a, uh, a, 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 I'm not going to say rough work day because I wasn't doing anything too difficult, but uh, I was grinding through a workday. Let's put it that way. I was grinding through the end of a workday. And uh, watching our boys light up the scoreboard definitely helped keep me going to the end of the workday. And uh, yeah, it's a fun afternoon. So uh, thank you, Rick. And Marlon, we're getting, we're getting your email. It's coming up. So uh, stand by. So, all right, let's get into this. And the only way to go through a game like this is just go through a game like this. So, uh, you know, Quan, I think, I think you could tell something was up from the first batter of the game because Stephen Quan lays down a bunt and pops it over the pitcher's head into no man's land on the infield. If that's such a thing, uh, I'm sorry, but when, when the Bat-Bib gods are smiling down on you from the first batter of the game, you know, something's up, you know, Stephen Kwan popping up a bunt and uh, dropping it behind the pitcher's mound definitely was a sign that something was about to happen. So Jose Ramirez with a big double. Kwan scores from first. I don't have a stat for this. I don't have a stat. By the way, Jose Ramirez's double, 106.5 mile per hour exit velocity. Uh, it had a 560 expected batting average, 354. It would have been a home run in 18 out of 30 ballparks. But remember, Baltimore set their fence back a season or two ago. 
to stop the barrage of home runs to left field, mostly hit by Yankees hitters. Uh, so they move that fence back, and so it, it goes as a double. I don't know. It feels like it lost some character. It feels like Camden Yards lost a little bit of character by moving that fence back and by setting it higher. Right, the fans used to be the fans used to be so low to the field that they've actually interfered with our left fielders before. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mount Castle or someone like that got a home run off us uh, via fan interference like two seasons ago. So, uh, yeah, they lose a little character by not having the fans right down on top of that left fielder. But uh, you know, Ramirez big double here, and Quan again. Not sure I have a stat for this, or I could even find a stat for this. But Quan might be one of the best in baseball at scoring from first. Uh, twice in this game, a Guardians player would score from first. Ahmed Rosario would do it on the uh, double later in the game by Josh Naylor. This one, this one was a little. They were different because Naylor's kind of came right back to the center fielder. The ball did not bounce around. Very long out there. Uh, I don't know who was out there at that point. Hicks or Vavra. Uh, but this one to left field. Uh, McKenna out there in left field. Uh, it does kind of ricochet in the corner. It does give Quan a chance. You know, clearly he gets a good jump. And that just must be what it is. Like Quan just gets a really good read and a really good jump off the bat. And just takes off like a rocket. And scores from first. The other thing, the other storyline of this game we could we could probably do a whole storyline about the Baltimore Orioles outfielders throwing home because they were awful. Whether it was the relay men or the fielders themselves throwing home, nothing, nothing was on line to the catcher Rushman. I mean, he was running all up and down the first baseline, the third baseline, trying to get these throws under control. So uh, nothing went to the backstop or anything like that, but no plays at the plate, no opportunity for a play at the plate. So again... Uh, when you can put pressure on a team and run like that and take the extra base, it helps, and then they start to panic, and then they rush their throws, and uh, your offense looks even better. Now, unfortunately, uh, they strand Jose Ramirez at first. So you're thinking, okay, or at third. They strand him at third because he moved up on the throw. Then there was a whole thing about should he get home on the overthrow because this one did roll into the dugout, and uh, they ultimately decided, no, he wasn't going to third. It's silly. I don't know. I, it was silly to kind of challenge at that point. I, f- I think everyone kind of agreed there were better opportunities to challenge in a game than that. Uh, but they strand Jose Ramirez at third. So now you're thinking, okay, is it going to be one of those days? Yes, Quan and Ramirez combined for an early run. But if we can't bring Ramirez home from third with, you know, one out, then, you know, what kind of offensive day is this going to be? And then Baltimore in the second inning, uh, we have a chance to score in the second inning. We get the first two on, and then strikeout, strikeout, oof, bottom of the order, strong Gallagher going down to strikeouts, and then Quan flies out to end the threat. So we can't do anything in the second inning. We strand runners on base, and you're thinking, is it going to be one of those offensive days where people are getting on and we're just not getting them in? The big hit isn't going to be there. That's the fear, right, with this team. All season long, the big hit just kind of hasn't been there. They get the big hits in the uh, second inning, and Bieber pays for a pair of two-out walks. Very un-Bieber-like. Two-out walks, a pair of them, and then they go to town with four hits off of Bieber. 
Uh, some of them were bloops. I mean, Mateo's double was at 66.2 mile per hour exit velocity. Frazier's double was at 77. The singles were the things that were hit hard. McKenna's at 108.5 and Rushman's at 97.3. Uh, Rushman's was the one that was off Beaver's glove that once Jimenez changes directions, he gets to the ball, but he can't make a play on anybody. And you're thinking, okay, walks that come around to score, infield hits off the pitcher's glove. Is it going to be one of those kind of days? By the way, it's interesting. I don't know when in the game later, but Bieber learned his lesson because there's another ball to his right that he could have put his glove out for, and he doesn't. So either he recognized he knew where his defense was behind him and decided, no, I got... I got Rosario playing right up the middle. I'm not even going to mess with this thing. Uh, or he just learned his lesson uh, from this play in the second inning, but he doesn't stick his glove out at that one. Uh, remember, this is a gold glove uh, pitcher we're talking about here. So they put up a four spot in the second inning, and you're thinking, is it going to be one of those days? And then our boys start to answer back. And, I mean, the middle of this game was just an absolute slugfest no room for pitching whatsoever in the middle of this game so it's Ramirez getting things going with a one-out single in the third Naylor rocks a double into the right field corner jumps on a high pitch that would be a theme for Josh Naylor on the day uh, this is the one where they challenge whether he overslid the base or not he's ruled safe Bell draws a walk to load the bases Arias then strikes out with the bases loaded and you're thinking is it going to be that kind of day and then Andres Jimenez comes up the hero we need and he shoots it to the opposite field they talked about on the broadcast that he has been working on this like I I know uh, Jimenez has not had the season he had last year but he has been working on this that's that's what they reported and he did it he went the opposite field 75.4 mile per exit velocity that's all it takes to go opposite field Opposite field isn't about strength. It's about patience. It's about keeping your hands back, your hips closed, and lining up your target there to the opposite field, finding that gap. So Jimenez does it. He delivers the hit to left field. Two runs come in to score, um, and uh, you know we get something out of the inning. Straw would walk to reload the bases, but Gallagher would fly out to right. But, okay, now this feels like a little bit of a different game because the Guardians up until this point of the season – Jimenez isn't coming up with that hit there. Now they're starting to actually get a hit with runners in scoring position. You're feeling like something could happen. It's a 3-4 game. Baltimore then stretches out their lead. Uh, in the third inning, man, I just uh, Bieber just didn't have it on the day. Aaron Hicks playing in his first game in an Orioles uniform after getting cut by the Yankees. Just It would kind of crack me up if Hicks goes on to have a great season. Like, and it makes the Yankees pay for cutting. Like, it just feels like that is the kind of thing that would happen, right? You get cut by the Yankees, you go somewhere else, and then, you know, in the division, you get to beat up on your former team. It would just crack me up if Hicks uh, goes on to have a decent season. So uh, he singles. O'Hearn doubles uh, on a line drive to center field, and Hicks comes around to score. It becomes a 5-3 to three game. I'm not that worried about it anymore. Now, Now it feels like... It feels like we're in a game now. Five to three. Okay, they answered back. Let's keep going. Talk about winning innings. I know we're the away team, so we're kind of talking on the diagonal here. But, you know, I think up until this point, you know, we're in these innings. We're competitive in these innings now. 
It helps in the fourth inning that Quan leads off with another single. Uh, he drops one into center field. Uh, Ahmed Rosario would fly out to right. Uh, they would go to their bullpen. They take both out of the game, who uh, went the longest for him. That's the other thing about this. It's an Orioles bullpen game. And, I mean, this is the prime example of what can go horribly wrong in a bullpen game, right? If, if nobody gets locked in, uh, it can turn into a real disaster. And that's what happens here for Baltimore. So uh, they go to the bullpen. Uh, Perez comes in. Uh, Ramirez would pop out. And then Josh Naylor would come up and mash a home run to right center field. 101 mile per hour exit velocity, 401. It only had a 430 expected batting average. It only would have been a home run in 12 out of 30 ballparks. But it goes out in Baltimore. A two-run home run. And suddenly you're looking at a tie game. And that's the thing about home runs. I think they said it had been like a week since we had hit a home run. I mean, something ridiculous. As a team. Not just Josh Naylor. As a team. Isn't it amazing how quickly a home run can change the complexion of a game? Isn't it nice to have a a home run or two in your back pocket when you need it? Especially with a runner on base, how quickly it can change a game? Right? Think how many hits we needed uh, in the uh, how many things had to go right in that third inning to score a run to finally get a run across after Ramirez hits that one out single right four guys have to uh, th- four guys have to come through in that inning to create a run and uh, boom in this one one swing of the two swings of the bat a single by Quan a bloop by Quan and then Naylor blast and suddenly you're in a tie ball game then Bell comes up. He gets an inside pitch, and he destroys it 106.8, low and inside, and he cranks it. 418, uh, this was a 30 out of 30 ballpark home run. I mean, this was a monster shot. I remember my brother saw him in spring training, hit one out, and he said, when Bell connects, it's different. Like Literally, the expression, it hits different. Uh, That's Josh Bell. And, man, it's been a while. We talked about this in yesterday's game. All those balls down the middle, and he's got, like, 70-mile-per-hour exit velocity bloops. Now he gets one low and inside, and he turns on it at 106.8. That's what we've been waiting to see. Uh, There'd be a little more in this inning, a walk and a single, but it wouldn't turn into anything. A straw would ground out. Adam Frazier would make a great play uh, out there at second base to end that rally. But now we've taken the lead. And then again, a home run can change the complexion of a game very quickly. And Santander with a one-out sing- uh, two-out single by Rushman. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. This is the play that should have got them out of the inning. Uh, it was a ground ball to short, and Rushman beat it out. Uh, and a weird play, and then it should have got Bieber out of the inning. And then Santander makes him pay with the home run. 106 miles per hour himself. Uh, 25 out of 30 ballparks, 423 out to left center field to the bullpen. Uh, so Santander, again, I just, I, this guy should not be allowed to face a Cleveland team. Like he just un, it's, it's almost unfair at this point how much he unloads against his former team. And it's not like we like traded him or something. I believe he was a rule five draft pick. Uh, and that's how we lost him. But still, he unloads against us. Just, I mean, what a series for Santander. The extra base hits, the RBIs. He was locked in. So now they jump back in the lead. And you know what? I'm not even complaining. I'm just enjoying a baseball game at this point. And uh, then the fifth inning strikes. Uh, Cam Gallagher 
with a leadoff double at 108.8 miles per hour. Uh, you know what? I believe, I believe this might have been the moment I dozed off. Uh, it was the end of the workday. It was around five o'clock. Uh, I was working from home. I said, be honest with you, I sat down on the couch and I dozed off for a good uh, ten minutes here uh, until my phone rang and woke me back up. And I believe I woke up with the bases loaded and Jose Ramirez up. And uh, so it's a double, a single by Quan and a walk by Ahmed Rosario. It'd be his offensive contribution to the day. And Ramirez would strike out on a full count. He would chase a pitch up and away, very un Jose Ramirez like. But Josh Naylor's got his back. He gets another high pitch and hammers another double uh, into center field. And Ahmed Rosario is off like a cannon. Off like a cannon. I mean, talk about getting a secondary lead and a jump on the ball. He knew this thing was a double. I mean, this thing hits at the base of the wall. Uh, it, zero out of 30 ballparks. It wouldn't have been a home run anywhere, but going to be a double on a lot of ballparks. Hits off the base of the wall. Looked like it might have been out off the crack of the bat. 100.9 mile per hour exit velocity. Again, another high pitch. And uh, Rosario comes all the way, not only comes all the way around from first to score, he almost tags Stephen Kwan going around the bases. I mean, it's that close. Uh, that's the kind of thing you see in a movie, right? Where like another guy's on, uh, a runner's on another guy's heels and they score at the same time. They do it in Major League. They do it in Rookie of the Year. I'm trying to think of all my baseball movies uh, where this where this play comes into effect. And again, another throw way up the line. And uh, Rosario scores easily. And Naylor just absolutely, this was his game. I mean, Santander, this might have been his series, but this was Naylor's game. Uh, six RBIs. And uh, don't worry, I am not going to forget MVP on the day for this one. We we all know who it is. Uh, it's Josh Naylor. We'll get back to it. Uh, and then Gabriel Arias, after a bell strikeout with a runner still on second base there, and two outs, Gabriel Arias gets an inside pitch. This is middle in. He turns on it at 109.9. And this is the power that everybody uh, who's followed Arias' career knows is there. And he just we need to see it on a more consistent basis. But this is the promise of Gabriel Arias. 109.9 mile per hour exit velocity home run. 441, 1,000% batting average, 30 out of 30 ballparks. He puts it over the Orioles' bullpen into our bullpen. A monster home run from Gabriel Arias. So, uh, yeah, it makes it a 11-7 game. They would answer back with one more. Uh, you know, they get a few guys on and then hit a ground out to make it 11-8. We would get another in the 7th uh Back-to-back hits again from Ramirez and Naylor. Those guys, the heart of your offense, when the heart of your lineup is actually coming through and getting hits to the middle of your lineup, the guys that are supposed to be leading your offense, God, does it change the complexion of this team. It makes us a real threat. I know we've had a down offensive year, and we've been one of the worst offensive in baseball. But you got to imagine when this team comes to town, those up... Those opposing managers, those opposing pitchers have to be looking at our lineup going, I don't want them to get hot against us. Like, I don't want them to come out of the cellar against us. And that's kind of what we do to Baltimore uh, in this series. We did turn it on. I mean, 17 hits, 12 runs on 17 hits. So uh, Naylor, with this time, with just a nice single, 
in the left field. He still hits it at 103.5 mile per hour exit velocity. Frankly, it doesn't even look like he hit it that hard at the highlight, but apparently that's what StatCast is telling me, 103.5. So after Ramirez doubles, he drives him in for that 12th run. And the bullpen does take over from there. So the bullpen the bullpen does pitch pretty well. Uh, Curry does give up that run in the 5th, but Henches, De Los Santos, Trevor Steffen, and Emmanuel Classe combined for four shutout innings of baseball to end things, to run to the end of the game. So uh, it is a there is some good pitching that kicks in towards the end of this game. So I told you we were going to talk about pitch location, and that's kind of what I'm moving to next. Going over to the Illustrator on StatCast, looking at where the Guardians hitters were getting these hits, there's some real interesting things on here. Uh, Steven Kwan did a great job uh, with plate coverage, got two pitches, two hard pitches, a fastball and a sinker out over the plate on the outside edge and delivers two singles off those and then was able to handle an inside fastball uh, for a single in the fourth inning. So good plate coverage by Quan. Ramirez just got some pitches in the middle of the plate. Those three hits he had, both doubles came on off-speed pitches right down the middle of the plate, pretty much middle-middle, uh, just around the belt. And then the four-seam fastball was middle down that he hit for a single in the third inning. So all three of his hits coming from the middle of the plate. It's nice to see if you make a mistake against Ramirez, he is going to make you pay still. Like, don't don't end up middle-middle. You are going to pay for it from Jose Ramirez. And again, that strikeout that he chased way off the plate, uh, boy, it's pretty, when you look at it here on StatCast, uh, it's... It's not typical. I mean, it's a slider up and away that he goes out and he chases. Um, they, they they did foul off a ton of pitches. Cleveland batters, at least it felt like. Uh, I guess I could go to the player breakdown page here and uh, take a look. But it felt like they were fouling off a ton of pitches. Rosario fouled off six pitches in this game. Ramirez, five. Naylor, four. I felt like that was all in one at bat. Eight pitches fouled off by Josh Bell. So just keeping counts alive, six by Gabriel Arias. Uh, so nine by Cam Gallagher, Jesus. Um, so they were keeping it bats alive, uh, fouling off a lot of pitches, making pitchers work, uh, long at bats. Nailers again is interesting here. Those doubles are both at the very top of the strike zone. They're forcing fastballs that he is catching up with at the very top of the strike zone and hitting them hard. Uh, 98.5 mile per X velocity and 100.9. The home run comes on a pitch, a four-seam fastball middle in from CNL Perez. Uh, that he pulls at 101 mile per hour exit velocity. So, uh, and then, I mean, great plate coverage from Naylor. The, the uh, single uh, in the left field in the seventh is on an 0 knuckle curve on the outside edge of the plate. So he really covered the whole plate in this one. And uh, yeah, those doubles at the top of the strike zone after he was being struck out at the top of the strike zone. Remember, he was chasing high pitches, uh, was it a day or two ago, and now he's crashing them for doubles. Bell's only hit on the day was that home run. He actually did strike out a lot. But again, it's a curveball that they drop uh, down and in on him. Uh, CNL Perez again. Uh, did Perez have the roughest day of any of the... No, I guess he didn't. Uh, I guess I can't say inherited runners and things like that. But uh, he gives up three hits. Two runs earned himself. I don't know how many of those runs credited to Voth uh, were inherited runners for Perez. Uh, but man, Voth, Perez, Givens, and Bauman all have terrible days out of the bullpen for the Orioles. Uh, so uh, down and in is where Bell gets his. Arias, again, 
He actually draws two walks, which is nice to see. Uh, and the home run comes from a forcing fastball from Bauman uh, middle in. And he turns on this thing. I mean, this is this is an inside pitch. This is on the black, on the edge of the plate. And he turns on this thing. Uh, absolutely smokes it. Andres Jimenez is the last one I want to talk about when it comes to pitch location. Actually, Straw didn't have a hit. Uh, Gallagher's was a four-seam fastball that was middle up, and he was able to drive. Uh, but Andres Jimenez really impressed. All four of his hits basically come out over the plate. Three of them are literally on the outside edge of the plate. The one in the third inning on an 0-0 count was a four-seam fastball kind of right down the middle. Middle, slightly down. I would say it was in the lower quadrant. Uh, but uh, the uh, the other three hits come on things on the outside edge of the plate. And he just did such a good job of either hitting them to left field or shooting them back up the middle, which happens sometimes. When you're, when you're trying to go opposite field and you just jump on a ball a little too quickly, you will hit it back up the middle. But keeping the hands back, I mean, the mechanics on these singles today from Andres Jimenez, uh, two of them were forcing fastball, uh, three of them were forcing fastballs, and one of them was a curveball off the outside edge of the plate on an 0-2 count in the second inning. Uh, I believe uh, that's the RBI uh, double, uh, the RBI single that drove in some runs there. Uh, So yeah, so that's a good job by uh, Andres Jimenez. Oh, no, we didn't score any runs in the second inning. Okay, never mind. That wasn't the one that drove in any runs. It was the third inning. It was the third inning when he gets that bases loaded hit. That was the one that was the the middle, middle, middle of the plate, middle down on the plate. Uh, but just being able to cover the outside edge, we just went through this with Andres Jimenez, where he just... Last year, everywhere in the strike zone, he had a plus 300 batting average. This year, not the same. Uh... But this year, the uh, the bottom corner of the plate, being able to cover the outside lower part of the plate, the outside upper part of the plate, this is parts of the plate that he has not been able to cover this year. And it's because his swing, his opposite field swing, his mechanics just haven't been there for going the opposite way. They're there today. The, he, he makes the adjustment. He makes the improvement today. Will this? If this carries forward, if this carries forward, Andres Jimenez can get himself back to that all-star form. He can. He can return to being an all-star level hitter. If the mechanics from today hold up. So uh, that will be very key for him. So, I mean, covering 12 runs in a podcast is a lot of baseball to cover. But I think we got there. I think we did it. Uh, again, let's talk briefly about the pitching. Bieber just did not have it. Give up four, uh, only last four innings. Gives up eight hits, but only four hard hit balls. So it just was one of those days where it just was not in his favor. Uh, seven runs given up over four innings. Two walks, and he pays for both of them. They both come around to score. Four strikeouts, and the home run given up to Santander. Only lasts 82 pitches on this one before they go to the bullpen. Just not Bieber's day. I, it just wasn't a day to be out on the mound for anybody pitching. Uh, he was still getting his his CSW numbers. Uh, he was still getting his not as many whiffs. Uh, eight whiffs on 33 swings. It's a 24% whiff rate. 18 called strikes, though. So, I mean, he still was getting his. It's a 32% CSW. I mean, the average exit velocity off him was only 83.2. The average off his fastball was 89. The average exit velocity off the cutter was 84.5. Off the slider 
was uh, 78.9, and they only put one changeup at play at 68.3 mile per hour exit velocity. So, I mean, in one sense, uh, you know, doing a good job to, you know, minimize exit velocity, getting those called strikes, attacking the strike zone still, but man, they were lining him up for some big hits in this one. And uh, yeah, some of them were silly, you know, weak hits, bloops that fell in, infield hits. Um, the home run to Santander was a fastball that was just out over the plate, kind of at the belt, and he drives it. Uh, yeah, so uh, it just wasn't Shane Bieber's day. And that's going to lead us into Marlon's email. Uh, Marlon is writing in from Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, followed up, and he said, thanks for the shout-out on this morning's podcast. Long-time listener, but recently decided to take you up on the offer to email the show. And I appreciate it. And it's a message to all of you morning people. If you are long-time listeners like Marlon, your thoughts are welcome on the show. All you got to do is sit down, write a quick email to clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. And Marlon went into it today. Uh, he had to watch the game on the MLB app, and he said, I must say, I'm very pleased with the offense finally picking up the pitching and carrying the load. Naylor had his best game of the season with his six RBI performance and was the MVP for the day. And you know what, Marlon? I cannot argue with you. Josh Naylor, you take home MVP on the day. And I apologize for getting, for getting like the last three days. Sometimes I just get into the game, and it totally slips my mind. Uh, but Marlon wasn't going to let me forget MVP on the day, going to Josh Naylor. He said, followed up. He continued, I'm worried about Bieber. However, it feels like he's laboring in the majority of his starts this season. This year, he's regressed from last year. And here's where Marlon does a deep dive. His whip is up from 1.29 from 1.4 last year. Last year, hitters batted 230 against him. This year, hitters are hitting 265. He only issued 36 walks last year, and he already walked 21 batters this year. His 6.36 Ks per nine is down from 8.91. His 2.52 walks per nine is up from 1.62. Last year, hitters had a 6.13 OPS and a 3.47 slugging. This year, batters have a 7.17 OPS and a 4.13 slugging. Also, I wonder if losing Brian Sweeney and Kyle Hudson has played a factor in the team's regression this year. Former coaches on this team. I'm going to add in. Uh, and I'm going to add in here that Marlon, you did a better job of paying attention to this than I did because, I mean, I totally forgot that we lost some coaches and things like that to different teams uh, in this offseason. Like, that wasn't even on my radar. I said in this morning's podcast, you mentioned Will Brennan misplayed a few balls yesterday's loss. And it occurred to me, Hudson, who was the outfield coach, left for a job with the Red Sox in the offseason. Uh, yeah, that's a thing, Marlon. Uh, it's hard to hold the coaching staff together, right? Like, Guys want to advance. They want to go from outfield coaches to bench coaches to, you know, or base coaches to managers, uh, bullpen coaches to pitching coaches. So it is. It's it's hard to hold on to a staff because uh, I'm sure Francona, you know, a part of the job is probably mentoring guys along and seeing that they advance in their career. And, uh, yeah, so we, we did lose two guys to other franchises. And, yeah, maybe it does. Maybe it does. I mean, when we lost our bullpen coach, don't forget, a guy who had been coaching these guys in the minor leagues for a long time to San Diego, it it does have an impact. Uh, you got to find a new voice for these guys, and it might not be as effective as the last voice you had on the team. Anyways, he says, I love your podcast, Davey. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and insights and giving a voice to us fans. Keep up the good work. I'm going to try, Marlon, and I appreciate the email. 
uh, he actually uh, followed up on that. He wanted to add one more thing. Um, he's just worried that it's a coincidence that uh, Will Brennan killed that hit and killed the bird against the White Sox. Uh, but then the team proceeded to lose the series. But when they faced the birds, the Cardinals and Orioles, they win the series against both teams. Maybe that's a good sign against the Blue Jays and a home series against the Orioles later this season. Uh, it would be weird, Marlon. It would just, it would be a weird season if the birds just kept falling victim to us. It's, it's a little bit of a dark thought. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, it is weird that we then go on to uh, beat the Cardinals and Orioles in a series. But I I think the important part of your email here is that, Hey, we just beat the Cardinals and an Orioles in a series. And if you keep winning series, good things are going to happen. Your team will find itself in good position. So thank you for that email, Marlon. And yeah, I, I think I think Shane Bieber has shown regression, definitely shown some regression this year. He still had some solid wins. He still has some solid games where he goes deep into the game. But it is it is a reason to be concerned. And with the amount of talent that you've seen come up through the pitching, you understand why. At least I'm seeing it on Guardian's Twitter. People are getting more and more comfortable with the idea of possibly trading Shane Bieber, especially when it looked like, hey, maybe this isn't our year to compete in the American League Central, even though the American League Central is almost an embarrassment to baseball at this point. Uh, or is the AL East just that good? I, I don't know. One of the two. Um, with almost, you know, it's very close to nobody having a winning record in the American League Central right now. You understand why this might actually be the season to trade Shane Bieber or why they're having such a hard time figuring out a long-term contract for Shane Bieber because you're yeah you are worried about is this regression where is Bieber going in his career can he turn this around the strikeouts yeah you're right the walks are up the strikeouts are down that's not a good sign for Bieber Uh, even though the velocity was down he was still a pitcher's pitcher he could still get those strikeouts and if those strikeouts aren't there What's a Bieber start going to continue to look like? Now, I I would love it. I would love it if one time we had, you know, a pitcher that stuck around for a long career. You know, same thing happened with Kluber where we kind of traded him at the right time. Like, you can't say that Kluber left Cleveland and has done better than he did when he was in an Indians uniform. Right? Um... Bartolo Colon is an interesting one. CC Sabathia are interesting ones. I guess Sabathia did go on to have a pretty good Yankees career. So maybe we sold. That was the guy. Sabathia was probably the guy that we should have held on to for the long run. Of all the ace pitchers, Cy Young pitchers that have come through recently, he was probably the one to hold on to. But is that going to be what happens with Bieber? Or is it going to be more towards the path of Corey Kluber, where it just it's never as good as it was in a Cleveland uniform? So that's the decision that the front office is going to have to make over the next month or two because there are teams like a Baltimore out there who needs pitching. And there are going to be teams that are definitely going to be calling about Shane Bieber. And is now the time to sell? He, you know, he might not even have the same trade value that he would have had at the beginning of the season. But is now when you know you've got Bybee and Allen and Gavin Williams coming to carry the load right? One of those guys is going to be, or even Tristan McKenzie could be the ace of the staff, right? The guy you would pitch in game one of a playoff series, the guy who's going to pitch opening day. So if you have all that talent ready to go and teams are knocking down your door and you can get one power hitting prospect out of the situation, 
I mean, that's what you're looking for at this point. Somebody with power. A corner outfielder, maybe, with some pop. Uh, if, if that's available out there, is now the time to trade Shane Bieber. It's just, it's something you have to consider. And we'll push that down the road. So thank you, Marlon, for your deep dive on Bieber's numbers. Uh, and uh, this game, you know, this game yesterday is the perfect example of it. So that is all my thoughts. A very long episode for, you know, a lot of runs uh, to talk about here. Uh, coming up uh, tonight, we head to Minnesota. It's going to be Bybee on the mound against Lopez, uh, who had come over to uh, Minnesota from the Marlins. Uh, so uh, it's going to be an interesting one in Minnesota. If the Guardians' bats have truly heated up, Pablo Lopez, uh, he's going to be in for something. Uh, right-handed pitcher, so you could ex- you know who to expect in the lineup against a right-handed pitcher. Uh, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final. Oh, my God. Guardians 12. The Orioles 8. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.